The NFL preseason begins in earnest this week, which means we're that much closer to real football. And today, we wrap up the 2023 Cigar Thoughts Positional Breakdown Series by looking at the Seahawks secondary with legendary defensive back Antonio Cromartie. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my innocuous producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We're feeling great, Jackson. Training camp rolls on. We're about to wrap up the positional breakdown series Can't with a hell it. of a guest. Life is good, man. How are you? Bro, I am so excited, not only for the impending start of football season, but for today's show as well, because we've got one of my all-time favorite defensive backs joining us to dive into the Seahawks secondary. But before we get to that, I want to remind everyone listening that you can still get your official Cigar Thought cigars directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link and place your order to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf. Or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, as many of you have, and we'll send you the details directly. There's also a link in the show page on whatever platform you're listening to us on. The feedback on these has been tremendous, so go get some for yourself or as a gift and help support the show at the same time. We'd also love for you to check out our YouTube channel, where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow, so we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. You know, Mike, the last couple of months have been a gilded stretch on this show as we've worked our way through each of the positional groups on the roster, and we've been lucky enough to do that with some heavy hitters. And today, we bring the series to a close for this year with one of the great defensive backs of his generation. He played 11 years in the league, made four Pro Bowls, was selected first team All-Pro in 2007, and holds the NFL record for longest play with a 109-yard field goal return for a touchdown. He picked off 31 passes in his career and appears to have picked out a dynamite cigar for the show. He is Antonio Cromarty. Crow, thanks for joining us. What's going on, baby? Hey, man, we are stoked to have you, bro. What you smoking on? Uh, I got a little crown head. Mm-hmm. Limited edition 2003. Oh, that's all. Just this whole thing. <laughs> Casual. <laughs> so my, next one, I told my, my next one, if we can get to it, I've got a little timeless that's coming on next. Oh, hell yeah, man. No, we, we're going we're gonna to get to it. I'm, I'm, I'm starting off. Uh, I got a little Year of the Rabbit from uh, Davidoff. Had to get in their Zodiac series, and we got a legend on the show. And, you know, I got to follow it up with one of my own cigars. I got the uh, official Cigar Thought Cigar on deck, too. So, Ooh. you know, we're going to make it happen. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Well, listen, man, we're going to get into Seattle secondary in a bit because I think they have one of the most dynamic groups in the league. But first, I want to get your thoughts on secondary play as a whole in the NFL. I mean, there's no question in my mind that your job as a defensive back has gotten harder and harder as passing games get more efficient and as the rules continue to get tougher when it comes to coverage and contact. You played against some of the best passing attacks the league has seen, including the time you intercepted Peyton Manning three times in one game. So tell us, what did you do to be successful in an era that made it so difficult to do so? Honestly, it wasn't just me. That's what people try to realize. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great coaching staff uh, when I was in San Diego, the year that I had 10 picks with uh, Coach Kevin Ross and Coach Bill Bradley as the DB coaches. Um, and we had uh, Ted Cottrell and also Ron Rivera, who was also uh, came in as an uh, assistant defensive coordinator too. 
So, I mean, you know, when you got guys like that and you got a front seven, what I had in San Diego with Sean Phillips, uh, Jamal Williams, Igor Oshansky, uh, Luis Castillo, Jock Cesare, uh, Sean Mamrin, Sean Phillips, Stephen Cooper, uh, and those guys on the front on the front seven, man, it makes your job a whole lot easier. Yeah, you know when you got when you got Sean Mamrin telling, "Hey, Crow, you got two point five seconds or two point three seconds. The ball's coming out. Be ready." Look. You put that time clock in your head and you just play football, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and that's what people fail to realize. It wasn't just like, I think that year we had 31 interceptions that year. That's incredible. And we had 31 interceptions and like over 60 something sacks that year uh, in 2007. But people don't realize, man, pass rush and, and coverage goes hand in hand, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, it's, it's a team effort. And if you're doing your job on the back end, you create uh, you create sacks. If the front seven is doing what their job on the back end, they create interceptions. And that's when you get your tips and your overthrows and everything like that. So it wasn't just me. I, I did a lot of film study, but it was a team effort because that front seven did their job the best way they know how. And the only thing I had to do was, hey, 1,001 or 1,002, 1,000, the ball was coming out. And I just had to make a play on the, I had to make a play on the ball. I mean, that's that's an excellent point and a very often overlooked point when it comes to individual play you know we we talk about individual statistics or you know there's there's a huge effort both in the tape community analytical community to really isolate how good a specific player is but you can't you can't lift that flower out of the garden right like it's it's all it's all together but at the same time that's a very humble way of you answering that question (laughs) because you didn't just play for san diego in 2007 you played for a few teams over more than a decade so I mean, as, as you transition, cause that's another thing, right? Scheme matters too. It's not just personnel. You touch on that, but what's being asked of you as a cornerback, as a safety changes from scheme to scheme as well. Did you have any schemes that you found like, okay, Hey, this really suits me versus something else that was a little bit tougher. Or is it like, Hey, I'm like water. I can kind of just do whatever. Honestly, I didn't find a scheme that didn't suit me at all. Cause I felt like I had so much of that just playing college football. I played cover two, I played cover three, we played a lot of man. Um, so for me, I felt like my versatile, any type of defense, I was fine with. Now, when Ron Rivera took over, did I like cover two? Hell no. You know, I wasn't a cover two, I felt like I wasn't a cover mm-hmm. two guy, but I still would, I still had to do it. I knew how to do it, but I, that wasn't, that didn't suit me. I felt like I was a, more cover four, man-to-man type defense, fire zone, get the ball out quick, understand where schemes are, what they're trying to throw the ball to, and eliminate a process of elimination with route combinations and everything else. So that's what I felt like I was good at. Um, when I got to New York, man, it was man-to-man. Man-to-man and fire zones. And, and fire zone serves into man after you get about 15 yards down the field anyway. But it's just like understanding that process and being alongside a guy like a Hall of Famer like Revis, uh, playing on a, and a, playing alongside a future Hall of Famer and Patrick Peterson, um, playing alongside guys like Quinn Jammer, Drayden Florence, Antoine Kaysen, uh having a back end guys where I had um, Ty Matthew, Rashard Johnson in Arizona, uh, Tony Jefferson, Deion Buchanan that's all in Arizona. Then going to New York and having Jim Leonard, Eric um, Eric Smith, uh, Brodney Poole. Uh, LaRon Landry, Dewan Landry, mm-hmm. um, playing with those guys on the back end, man, it was just something that it was it was fun. And you had guys that have very high football IQs 
on that part. I mean, and I can't forget Eric Weddle, um, who I played with at at, a, at his in his young part of his career. Um, you know, his football IQ was amazing. Also, even as coming in as a as a as a rookie to his second year, you just saw the development, how he studied the game, and things like that. So I played with some good safeties, man, and, and guys that understood the game, that understood how I would play. And we always had a conversation about how we played certain routes. And that's the biggest part about playing in the secondary is understanding communication part, understanding body language, understanding when when I'm pressed, I got everything. When I'm off, hey, you can take – if we're playing cover four, we're playing any other coverage, you got the first inside route and I, and I can cover and replace. So it's just like when, you, when you're playing the game, it makes it a whole lot easier when you communicate and guys understand your body language. Taking all that into account when you watch the game now, what are you looking for in a corner of safety that makes you sit up and take notice? Like, oh, that guy's doing that thing. Well, I think the biggest thing when you look at it, you got to have a guy with skill set. Can he can he take away the number one receiver, or not even just take away the number one receiver? Can he take away any receiver? Mm-hmm. Um, does the kid does the now does he have good hips? Do he have good hands? Can he do he understand having a good lateral movement? Um, and understand that ball skills. Ball skills are more most is most important right now. Like understanding how to take the ball away because now that gives me an opportunity to give our offense the ball again. And now can he be a home run hitter once he gets once he gets the ball in the hands? Um, so I mean, it, you gotta look at it from all aspects. And does the kid fit my scheme? Yeah. Is it a cover two? Is it a is it a true cover three scheme? Um, is it is it a cover four? Or am I more of a fire zone where I'm, I might press you six percent of the times in the game, depending on what kind of week we're playing and who we're playing. Um, so it, it's a lot of stuff that goes into it because you can't just throw a DB in a certain scheme. Some DBs only played man-to-man the whole entire college career. Now they t- now you're asking this DB to play zone coverage and he barely can backpedal. So now the way that he backpedals is turn his ass to the sideline and shuffle out of it because now he got he wants to have vision on the ball. So it's just understanding that and the development side of it when you're getting into it and understanding how to play the game and what kind of DB that you're looking for to transition into my defense. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned a couple of these guys already, but when Seattle was at its peak and and trotting out arguably the best secondary maybe in history, you know, there's a big argument going around. It was it was fodder for all the talk shows and whatever. Who's the best cornerback? You know, this is we're talking 2013, 2014 type. And there's kind of three names. There's two that you played with, Revis and Peterson, and then there was Richard Sherman. And you've been a fan of Richard Sherman's game, correct? Been a fan. Wasn't at first. <laughs> okay, tell me Wasn't about at that. First, but no, he knows. I mean, we we had that conversation, and they think about it like we all went backwards and forth. Me, Revis, Sherm, we all went backwards and forth, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, like when you really sit back and you think about the analytics of football and understanding scheme and what's asked of somebody, how can you get mad at a guy that played in zone that still made a lot of plays, no matter what he had on the back end? because he still made the plays that he needed to make, right? He had a great front seven up front when he had uh, Michael Bennett and all those guys up front that can go out and go attack, go out and have Red, uh, Redding and all of them that can go out and go put pressure on the guy that on quarterback and uh, and make, make an air and throws where they can get interceptions, where they can get the tip passes and everything else. Like I'm, I'm to a point now where I'm at in my life, I'm not I'm not going to knock a DB for what he does and how, what yeah. scheme he plays in because at the end of the day, it's a hard job for all of us to go out there and go play play on that island, no matter Amen. what scheme we play in. We I, like I tell people all the time. I tell like when I when I used to coach at Texas A&M, there has not been a DB 
that has not never been beaten. You know, we've gotten so bad at these all-time arguments, just like as a society, right? It's like if a great NBA player misses a shot at the end of the game, that's why he <laughs> sucks. If if a corner gets beat for a touchdown, see, he ain't so good. And and it's not like that, is it? No, it's not. It, like, and, and for me, you as for a DB, we got to look at the overall perspective. The overall, not just... Oh, man, he had one great year. No, look at the overall, his career. You know, like, we got some young guys right now that's playing some hell of football. But I don't consider them the best. Right. Because I got to look at the overall. Hey, I can't I can't account you for one year because every year changes. Yeah. You know, and guys that have been consistent, playing at a very high level, you have Darius Slay. You have Jalen Ramsey. You have uh, Stephon Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Harvey, uh, what's his name, uh, Alexander, that's in uh, Green Bay. Jair. Oh, yeah, Jair. Uh, Jair, Alexander. So you got guys that have a resume of putting it out every single, every year in and year out. And, yes, they may have a down year from interceptions, but they still haven't given up a lot of touchdowns. Right, You know, right. so it's just like understanding that part of it. It's like, hey, guys, like what? what is, what is, what is a true – shut down corner what is what is what has been asked of him in his scheme what has he done inside that scheme uh what he has up front because like i told you before everything goes up everything goes by what you do in the front by what you do in the back and what yeah. you do in the back goes by what you do in the front you know what i'm saying so it's like all that all that stuff goes hand in hand so it's just like you look at that stuff i look over resume i don't care what you do one year i look over resume resume tells me who you are and what kind of player you are over the years and that's what it is and i feel like for for corners specifically sometimes the best stats are the ones you don't get it's almost like being offensive tackle right like a lot of those guys the only stats they get are the negative ones right it's penalties and it sacks allowed and and with corners you know we look at we look at interceptions and you might have a guy like d'angelo hall who's going to rack (laughs) up a bunch of interceptions every year but he's gambling right he's also going to get beat because he's willing to take that risk he's gambling but also how many times he's been targeted? Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. That's right. Like you you get you get guys penalized because no one ever throws at him, and it's there like, oh, go. he only had four interceptions. It's like, well, he was only getting thrown at twice a game. There you go. You know, so it's just like you gotta you gotta you gotta look into it in, in, a, in a deeper uh, stat wise understanding where where everyone is coming from about who's the best, who's done this. Like, and, you know, these guys that I named earlier from Jalen Ramsey to Darius Slay to um, Alexander to Stephen Gilmore, uh, Stephon Gilmore and those guys, those guys are playing some ball, man. And they've been doing it for a while. It ain't just I'm, I'm one year or two year. These guys have been doing it consistently over their whole entire career. And that's what you look for, consistency. Can't have a high. Like, I, I tell people all the time, yeah, I, w- I felt like I was good, but I was inconsistent, right? I felt like I really was. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and lie. I had a great year, and I <laughs> and I'll fall off and have a mediocre year. That after that mediocre year, I have another good year, and then come off again and have a mediocre year again. Then come out, have a high year, have a mediocre year. But that's just I was inconsistent year to year. So you couldn't tell me, hey, yeah, well, Crow, uh, you know, you won one of the best at point in times in my career. Yes, I was, but. I was inconsistent with it, and I'm not. A, I'm not ashamed to say I was inconsistent. Sure, that's just the way it was. Yeah. That's 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 taking responsibility and accountability for who you are as a player. I was inconsistent at times. Sure. 
And at times it hurt the team, and sometimes at times it didn't. So when you when you are realistic and you understand who you are as a person, who you are as a player, you got nothing to hide. I don't have nothing to hide. I made four Pro Bowls. Yeah. So and I was one. I was the first team All Pro that when I only and I only started seven games that year. <laughs> so so I tell people all the time, man, it's all about opportunity. Take advantage of the opportunity that's given to you, and don't don't take it for granted. Yeah, man. You know, and and it's interesting. I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because I was thinking of a guy too, contemporary years, who was in that conversation for a long time. Then he switched teams and and wasn't all of a sudden. I'm talking about Nandi Osunwa, right? And so you know, we're talking. We're going to talk about Seattle here, and they're going through a bit of a defensive scheme switch. And so I think it's relevant. You know, you look at a guy like Osama, who was just the definition of a shutdown corner in Oakland, and then he goes to Philly, and all of a sudden he was this terrible acquisition, and it looks like he got no business making the money he's making, all these things. You know, Philly's a tough place anyway. How much of that is like, hey, up year, down year, versus he was really good for what one team asked him to do, and just a guy like that maybe just didn't have what it was – necessary to do what another team asked him to do uh i'm gonna say this played against played against namdi uh when i was in san diego um my thing was this i felt like he was a good man-to-man corner um mm-hmm. and i felt like at times teams didn't throw his way because you know you throw away once or twice to get a batted down pass not gonna catch a pass but if i can complete 80 percent of my pass to the other side i don't have to, i don't have to throw that side sure you know what yep. I'm saying? Not not taking away anything from Namdi. I think Namdi did a hell of a job during his time in Oakland. I think when he got to Philly, they was asking him to play certain things and zones and all that stuff. That's something that he probably just wasn't used to. And the language yeah. and the and the terminology of stuff, some guys get mixed up with it. Um, but I, I you can't take away what he did. I think it was one year, I think it was in two thousand six. Well, 2006 or 2000 something, 2006, where he only got the pass thrown to him 19 times. <laughs> they only threw to his side like 19 or 20 times in the in the season. Yeah. So I just, when a guy does that, man, it's 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 unbelievable. But at the same time, I'm just like, damn, how the hell they only throw the ball down 19 times at a guy? We got 16 right. damn games in the damn season, <laughs> and you telling me he's averaging 1.01 down target or 1. something oh per targets per down game? So it's just like, yeah. You know, it just it just falls, and not only that, but he wasn't like he was intercepting the ball, right? I know. I think his highest pick, his highest picks in his career, I think it was four. I think it was four or five, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So there's no way that, like the guy was really taking the ball away, and he was just taking that side of the field away. Yeah, you know, and and so keeping that specific thing in mind, I want to zoom in on Seattle for a minute. You know, the Seahawks defense was a bit all over the place last year. They had a great stretch in the middle of the season. They were really shutting some teams down. But outside of that, the season was marred by some pretty poor performances. And that being said, I do think their secondary really showed out, especially once Quandre Diggs got back to full speed about halfway through the season. My little brother. Yes, sir. So when you watched this team play last year, what jumped out to you specifically about their defensive backs? Tariq. Yeah. Let's talk about him. The rookie. Let's talk about him. Love him. I love him. Kid is special, man. Be 6'4", the way he moves. And he's not a 6'4", Brandon Browner. Uh-huh. He's a 6'4", 4'2", 40. Got great vertical. 
reminds you of a bigger, to me, Jalen Ramsey. Wow. Um, playmaking ability can catch the ball. I think he had six picks last year. Mm-hmm. Think about this. Sherman rookie year, how many picks does Sherman have? Eight. So you, you got a guy that can play man-to-man, that can line up, can play zone, can do all these things. Um, the young kid is going to be awesome, man. I, I truly believe in it. And the thing about that is that the secondary wasn't even full strength. You had Quandre coming back. It's my little bro. And I say that because I've known him since he was nine, nine years old. You love I him. with Jammer. You love That's, him. I, I love him, man. That's my little <laughs> bro, man. I, I love him to death. Um, and you got, well, you got Witherspoon on the backside. Then you have Jamal Adams, who hasn't played a complete season in Seattle yet. I know it. I know it. We're going to talk about him in a little and bit. And I, 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 and, you have a secondary that can be very, very, very good. Can mm-hmm. bring back that uh, Legion of Boom um, talk again. Um, mm-hmm. I, and if you if you can keep them healthy, because you got a right. guy, and like I say, Tariq Wilder, uh, Tariq uh, Woolen. You have Witherspoon on the other side. You add Adams. You add Diggs. I mean, you got playmaking guys that's on the back end that can make a lot of plays on the back end. And now I'm definitely looking forward to that secondary, having some fun this year, if they can stay healthy. Yeah, man. You know, the thing that stands out to me about Reek is, and he was honest about this during the season. He's like, I don't really know what I'm doing out there. That's the, <laughs> that to me but, is like the craziest thing. But you know, that's the beauty of it. Because yep. there's so much growth. Mm-hmm. There's so much potential in that. And when you got a kid that's, uh, that's only played small ball, Mm-hmm. Probably really didn't know how to watch film. Mm-hmm. And now he's starting to learn how to watch film. He's starting to understand route concepts and take away certain things that offenses like to do. Now he's going to go back and look on, okay, what things I got beat on last year because I'm going to get those same things this year just from a different formation or a different motion or something like that. Now you start to see the growth and the football IQ grow. And when that happens, that's when that guy becomes truly dangerous. And I don't see him – ever being complacent because he always has a point to prove well that's what i was going to say because like he wasn't on anybody's radar outside of seattle going into last year but now runner up for defensive rookie of the year and you know corner that's that's a position it gets coverage people talk about it people know about it he's got a name to defend now oh man but that's but that's gonna be that's every single year yep think about it yep when you make a name for yourself for one year Offense is now going to try to figure out how can we beat this kid the next year. Mm-hmm. So now they can game plan. They couldn't game plan for Sauce Gardner. They couldn't truly game plan for Reek. So now offenses have a whole offseason to figure out, okay, how can we attack these How can we attack these young boys? And how can we go out and do the things that we want to do and still have success without throwing interceptions and not let, letting this kid be a problem on the back end where he may get a pick. Like, Tariq get a pick, it's gone. Yeah. If he has open field, ain't nobody catching. Yeah, we saw that last year, man. He's almost so, like he's almost like defensive DK Metcalf between like the height <laughs> and the speed, man. Man, man, the kid is special, and I, and I, and I, I like them since coming out of college. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, I felt like to me, him and Stingley from a standpoint, because he was still raw technique yeah. standpoint. But you're talking about the potential and the ceiling that he has. He hasn't even scratched the surface. That's crazy, man. And that's the crazy part of because as a DB, you're being developed every single year in the NFL. 
It doesn't matter where it's coming from, the technique of it's coming from a mental aspect of the game. And once I start learning the mental aspect of the game, that's when my athletic ability can start taking over along with my technique. And that's what I'm waiting to truly see because you saw the athleticism part last year from Tariq. Yeah. Tariq. So now this year, you're probably going to see him starting to understand offenses more, how he's going to be attacked more. And that's going to be the beauty of it, to see the growth from year one to year two. And that's what I'm waiting to see. You mentioned Sauce Gardner uh, a couple minutes ago. Got the the Seahawks-Jets cornerback discourse once again. We're back. <laughs> um, but Sauce is the guy that, uh, that Woolen <laughs> lost out the defensive rookie of the year voting to. They're obviously both pro bowlers in year one. Compare and contrast their games, their strengths. What do you like that's different individually about them? Not who's better, but what do you pick out and notice specifically about them as individual players that you like? Um, for Reek, I love his ball skills. Um, not only that, but his catch radius. He don't you can't throw over six four. Right. That's the thing. Uh six four, that's four two forty, four three forty. It's special. Um I think he does a great job or tries to do a great job in the run game. And I think both of those guys do a, a better job in the run game um, than most thought. Um, the thing, I, it's not, it's not, it's not I was just saying who's better, who's this. I just think everybody, like you say, their games are totally different. Um, and what's accident at the end of the day. Um, I think with, with Sauce, you have a, a another good secondary over there with, uh, I think, what was it, Whitehead, Reed. So, I mean, when you look at that secondary, I mean, that secondary alone is is, is going to be a good one, too. But when, what, what's acts of Sauce is not him to go out and go make 100, 100 interceptions. It's, mm-hmm. hey, do your job. Do what you're supposed to do. Your underneath help is going to be there. Your safety is going to be there. Make the plays that we need you to make. And he's done that. And he's been tested. He's been battle tested. And he's gone through it and done everything he's supposed to do. Yep. And that's what you yep. that's what you that's what you want. With Ty, with with Reek, I think it's like, hey guy, hey, you four two, hey, we can put you on the fastest guy. We can put you on whoever you want to on the outside. No deep balls. I don't care about underneath stuff because you have your underneath help. And let's just make there's no big plays. Let's not give up the big play. Let's keep everything in front of us and let's go from there. Yeah, and that's... You can run with any and everybody, but let's use your technique. Don't turn it into a track meet. Yeah. So I, I'm look, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, for to actually both of them for year two. Yeah. Because now offenses understand what they do, and now offenses understand how they can attack them. So how 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 has they improved their game? Not physically, but mentally. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see it too, man. And and the growth aspect of Reek's game, I think, is the most exciting part. You know, and on the other side of the field, you got a rookie that you mentioned already, and he figures to make an immediate impact as well. But unlike Woolen, this guy comes in with all the hype and headlines that accompanies being a top five pick. You know, Seattle was exhaustively linked to various quarterbacks and defensive linemen leading up to the draft. But when the time came to make a pick, they took Devin Witherspoon, an absolute Tasmanian devil of a corner out of Illinois. And I got some intel after the combine that Seattle really liked Witherspoon. So I started digging into him a little bit. And the thing that just leapt off the tape to me were the guy's instincts. He seemed to have like a supernatural sense of where the ball was going or what his receiver was going to run. Do you see that same thing from him? And is that something that can be taught? Man, listen, 
instincts can't be taught. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, you either have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. That's that's just what it is. But he had a great coach in Illinois in Aaron Harry that understands the game, that's played college ball, that understands the development side. And I, I have to give the new defensive coordinator Aaron Harry up in Illinois the most props ever because he did a hell of a job of developing the DBs there at Illinois. You know, so think about this. The last good DB out of Illinois was probably Vontae Davis. <laughs> that was what, 16 years ago? Gotta be. 17 years ago. So Aaron, Aaron did a, a, a hell of a job of, since he's been at Illinois, developing the guys, making the guys understand their abilities and trusting their abilities. I, and I think the one thing that uh, – Guys got to understand when a guy have instincts, don't take that away from him. Help him teach him how to use them. Now, understand when I can jump around and when I cannot jump around. Understand when I see something, trust it. If I get beat, I get beat. That's just what it is. I'm sorry. But if I trust something of what I see on tape and they've ran it twice already, what do you think I'm third time I'm going to do if they run it again? I'm going to jump it. That's right. So it's just like trust right. your instincts. It's all about trusting your instincts, trusting your film study, trusting your your ability to go out and go make plays and understand that your guys that's behind you is going to protect you and they got the utmost faith in you also. And I think that goes into it as well. Guys trusting each other and being able to play off each other um, by communicating before the games, communicating during the games, um, and being able to understand how things are going to be played because there can be a change up. Offensive coordinators don't change what they do. They just change the personnel of who's running it. That's it. And once you understand that, you start to eliminate the plays. You eliminate. You do a process of elimination when they start lining up in certain formations. Who's motioning? Who's doing this to take away the things that you need to take away? Yeah, you know, and and that is something that Witherspoon seems to have in spades. You know, the the play that is kind of like his hallmark was that bubble screen, I think, against Michigan. He read it so well. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he was through those two receivers that were trying to block him. Like, by before the time the they, ball was in the quarterback's hands. They, there you go. Before <laughs> they, before the quarterback got the ball in his hands, he already took off. But how many times did he see that play in practice? Right. Preparation, right? It's all about preparation. How many times did he see that play in practice? But not in that. How many times did he watch that? How many times did he watch that film clip? Of seeing when they throw it. And the cool thing about because, that is, like, he saw it and he committed. Like, because that's the other thing. He's a hitter, right? Like, it's not like, hey, I got yeah. there and I wrapped the dude up. Like, he sent a message on that play. Sent the message. Like, y'all better not try that shit again. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I man. loved it. I freaking loved yeah. it. Because you got to trust yourself. Trust your ability, trust your instincts, and go just play football. Shit's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Just don't let the shit linger for the rest of the game. Yeah, man. I, I feel like I feel like having that short memory is important. Like you gotta have long memory in some things when it comes to your preparation, but I feel like you gotta have short memory on the field and let each play be kind of its own thing. Like like you said, man, you trust your instincts and more times than not, if you know what you're doing, you're gonna be successful when you do that, but you're not gonna be perfect. And and the ability to just wipe that from the memory banks and go get the next one, I think is just paramount. As a defensive player, you have you have to have skin like an armadillo, <laughs> and you have to have short term memory loss. That's it. Love Forget it. Forget it. Move on. 
we move on to the next play because every single player is a new play. Yeah. So let's not harp on the last one because now we have a brand new play. We have a brand new set of downs. Let's go out and go play football. So we we, we talked about how Woolen was able to just kind of come out of nowhere. He was he was pretty anonymous coming in, but Witherspoon, he's a top pick. You were a first round pick. Talk to me about the expectations that come with that because that's different than being a day two or day three guy. <laughs> Let me tell you, man. I I didn't play. You got to think. Remember, I didn't play my junior year. So I came, I, I left and went straight into the league. So I didn't even, I had a full year off. So my, the expectations of me for myself when I came there, I don't think there was much because they were still coming off an ACL injury. Mm-hmm. But I put so much on myself that I had to come out and come play that I did not play well my, my rookie year. That's just what it was. Um, the expectations, I don't think is, they expect for you to come in and try to play as a, as a, as a rookie, first-round draft pick. They want you to come in and play, but they also understand that there's still a development process that goes into it. Yeah. And the more I can get this kid reps, the more he starts to feel more comfortable in the game. And once he starts to feel comfortable in the game, starts to get the floor of the game, understands the speed, understands, understands the concepts of certain things that we're doing defensively, then what, we're doing, what, then what they're doing offensively. I need to learn what I'm, what I have around me, my help, understanding my good help, understanding my bad help. And what I mean by good help, by bad help is, okay, if I got a defensive end dropping, that's bad help. I need to play tighter coverage. Mm-hmm. But if I got a safety or the nickel coming to my side that's dropping underneath, I have good help. I can communicate. I can talk to him. Yes, I can talk to my DM, but he's not going to be as quick in understanding of what we have from the back end. Sure. So. Once he understands that part of it, it's like, okay, shit, I can just go play ball. I can play a lot faster. So there's no thinking. I can just go play football. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, and I'm glad you mentioned the kind of expectations. Like, yeah, we as fans, and I'm sure the player himself, wants to come in and say, hey, I'm first-round pick. I need to get on the field immediately. I need to start. I need to be impact right away. But his path to doing that in the secondary is not paved for him. I mean, Mike Jackson <laughs> played great last year. Same with Trey Brown. They're both showing out in camp this year. I mean, he's he, it's not just like, oh, hey, you're a first-round pick. Go get him. He's, he's going to have to show himself in camp. Oh, listen. These guys ain't trying to go home. <laughs> uh-huh. These guys are not trying to go home. These kids are trying to feed their kids. Mm-hmm. They're trying to feed their family. And we're all trying to do that. And it's all, it's, it becomes a brotherhood. But the thing, the thing that I love about the brotherhood that we have in football, man, is you can't be afraid from them drafting another guy. Yeah. That's at your position. My job is to help this guy. I don't care if he's coming to take my job. My job is to make sure I keep my job. Mm-hmm. You know how many guys they try to replace me with? <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Wilson, uh, Antoine Kaysen. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, at the end of the day, it's my job to keep my job. I don't care what round you got picked in. It's my job to keep my job at the end of the day. And I'm still going to help you along the way. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know, and I will go to bat for you as my teammate if they tell you to do something and – you do exactly what they say, and then they try to bench you, which I've done before. Yeah, but it's all about that camaraderie, that 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 spirit of hey, you are here to help us. At at the end of the day, and no matter who what we're doing, we're all here to get better because we are going to be only as good as our depth. Because during the season, players go down. 
But how good is your death after that? Mm-hmm. We can't, hey, it's got to be next man up mentality. That's what Bruce Aarons always used to say. Next man up mentality. And once you learn that, you start you start to prepare like you're a starter, even though you're a backup. Yeah. Yep. Well, and one guy who's been through all of that is your little bro. He might be the most underrated member of that entire defense. And we're talking, of course, about free safety Quandre Diggs. Got off to the slow start coming back from the injury. But second half of the season, back to his Pro Bowl level. He helped clinch a playoff berth with the overtime interception against the Rams in Week 18. Talk to me about how important it is to have a guy like Diggs on the back end when you got a bunch of youngins in the secondary. Well, it's it's very important. And and the reason why you have a guy like that on the back end, that's a veteran player, he's seen everything. Mm-hmm. He has seen every single offensive coordinator now that's become a head coach, so they he knows that their scheme is not going to change. They may add a little riffle here and there, but it's not going to change. But what he does is bring the experience of understanding one how to watch film, two communicate very well, um, and what that does for younger guys when you have a guy that can communicate, it makes them in the game a whole lot easier. Because now they can play faster because of the communication that's coming to them, that's been related to them. Uh, a guy that's seen certain concepts, routes, and all that stuff, it makes them it makes them play a lot faster and play them, let them be ahead of the game while they're in the game. And I think when you when you bring Quandre in like that, and you have Reek, and you have Weatherspoon on the other side, those guys are really going to benefit from having a guy on the back end like that. And also not just him, but you're going to have a guy like Jamal Adams too, if he can stay healthy, uh, that can also help with communication, getting guys lined up, being vocal, being in the place where they need to be and make sure those guys are in the place where they need to be also. Yeah, and Jamal's the next guy I want to talk about, you know, but sticking with Quandary for a second, one of the things, and I've said this on the show before, I've written it in the articles, is that the surest sign to me that Seattle was not entering a rebuild after trading Russell Wilson when everyone thought, eh, they're just tearing it down, they're going to go for the number one overall pick, get their quarterback that way, was when they re-signed Quandre Diggs, who is in the second half of his career, still playing in his prime, but is is kind of established, maybe his last contract, and he agreed. He's like, yeah, I'm staying here. We're doing this thing. I think that that decision sent a message to the rest of the team like, we ain't going anywhere. Just because our guy got traded, we ain't going anywhere. Yeah, but it's also the belief in what the organization also has set forward. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think tell us about you, that when you trust the organization and what they're trying to do, no matter who goes, it can be your, your, your number one quarterback, can be your number one receiver, whatever. If you can, if guys buy into the organization and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to do moving forward, it's never built. It's, it's never a rebuild year. Because he didn't have that in Detroit. He didn't have no, that in Detroit. No. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> Detroit finally got their head coach. Yeah. And, and, and now on top of that, don't get me wrong. They should have kept Jim Caldwell, too, who went 9-7, and they fired him after 9-7. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my thing is they have the, they have the head coach, and uh, Coach Campbell, who's doing a hell of a job, former player, now mm-hmm. coach, understands it, take care of the guys, all that stuff. You have that in Detroit. But you have a guy in Seattle, Pete Carroll, that's been doing it for a long time, that makes sure that guys are still having fun, that understands that this is just a game. Yes, we take care of our families with this game, but it's still just a kid's game. 
Go out here, have fun, and enjoy, and let's execute. Execution is what's key. We all execute and do what we're supposed to do. Hey, if they beat us, it's because they it's because there was a better team, not because we didn't execute. That's it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they bind into Geno Smith, who's resurrected his career. And I'm so happy for the kid. Um, I'm happy the way that he was able to sit back, learn learn the game, sit back now, and now he's taking control of the game. Uh, and that helps out a lot. When you believe in a guy, that'll make you want to stay. You believe in the system that the guys are having, that makes you want to stay. And that's what it's all about. Uh, and Quandre understands that, and he's, he, he's looking for the brighter part of, it, of being able to bring a Super Bowl back to Seattle again. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned Jamal Adams, and he's, he's the guy that I'm just most interested in in this secondary, to be honest with you, because he's probably the most divisive player on this team. You know, he was also a very high selection in the draft. Seattle famously traded two first round picks for him. Since then, he's had stretches of great play, but that's ultimately been undermined by a series of injuries, including that brutal one in the first game Ooh. last year. Man, I mean, and and it was like a compound injury too, right? So yeah. it's not just you're rehabbing one thing. You got you got all these correlating injuries that got to be rehabbed too. You can't treat all that the same. Yeah. But almost everybody we've had on this show that's close to the team feels that Adams can still be that dude. But fans as a whole are a lot less convinced. So from your perspective, how can someone like Jamal affect the defense? And do you still think he still has that upper echelon potential? I, I think he does. I just think I get over the injury bug, man. I, uh, mm-hmm. I think about it. I think he takes care of his body. I think he does everything he's supposed to do. Just freak accidents. And that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I think he still has a lot of value to bring to this defense. I think he's man, he's a box safety. Let's just be real. That's, that's it. He's a box safety. He's a guy that can make plays in the run game. Um, I think he can cover. Um, not, not as well as you would want him to, but I think he can cover it on, on the, in the secondary um, I think he still has the speed to go out and go do the things he needs to do. Um, I just need to see a full, healthy year from Jamal Adams. Yeah. Because the kid can play some ball. The kid is smart, has a very high football IQ, uh, loves his teammates from what I hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a great teammate. Um, big cigar guy? See, hey, another, another big cigar <laughs> guy. Um, I, just, I just need to see him fully healthy for a full entire year before we can actually see the true potential of what Seattle really has on the back end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, he is a box safety. And I, I think, you know, you talked earlier in the show about how important it is to understand what guys' strengths are and ask them to do that. And with Jamal, you know, he played basically a whole season with busted hand, couldn't really, couldn't really catch, couldn't really engage receivers with that arm. Uh, then he had the shoulder thing, same kind of deal. And I, I think a lot of the heat that he took from Seahawks fans were when they were asking him to cover because they didn't have the guys. Yeah. He kind of had to, and, and that's not his strength. Do you feel like now with Reek, with Witherspoon, with Kobe Bryant, who we're going to talk about in a sec, with Quandry Diggs back there, they added uh, Julian Love as Julian well. Love, yep. Does that allow them to bring him in and kind of almost subsidize the linebacker position a little bit? Oh, 100%. Um, it's, it's basically an alternative to what we uh, as defensively uh, in college 4 2 5. Mm-hmm. That's basically what you're going to end up turning out to be. Um, 
a guy that can cover, a guy you can put in the slot to go blitz, do certain things. Um, the one that he can he blitz very well. Um, so when you get into that boat, now you have depth, you have um, experience, you got understanding of the game, guys that can teach other guys. And the only, only thing that does is just strengthens your back end. Mm-hmm. You know, like once you strengthen your back end, you already got a good front seven up front. You strengthen your back end, man. It, sky's the limit for what that defense can be and what a good defense can do. We talked about this depth too, you know, and I saw your eyes light up when I mentioned Julian Love. Yeah. We also talked about Mike Jackson, Trey Brown a little bit. Kobe Bryant also seemed to have those instincts that we were talking about. When you see some of these other guys, because they're going to get run, mm-hmm. Julian Love, Mike Jackson, Trey Brown, Kobe Bryant, are these guys you have confidence in uh, if you're watching this team? Oh, 100%. You can't go on the field without no confidence. As, and as a coach, you can't have- you cannot go out not have a confidence in the guys that you have on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys are confident in what they can do and their abilities. And as, like I always say, it's about always, always about understanding what the guys do uh, best and not put them in their, I wouldn't say, weak, weak part of the system of what they got to try to do. I would say we want to play more to their strengths and more, more to not playing to more to their not strengths. You know, I, I'm not going to put Jamal Adams – and coverage 60% of the time. But I'm going to have him out of line. I'm going to have him blitz. I'm going to have him, you know, run around, doing do what he does best. Same thing with Kobe. I'm not going to, you know, a guy that led the league basically in forced fumbles hasn't asked for football. Some way, somehow, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so when you look at it, it's just like, okay, these guys can do this, this, and this. So let's get these guys on the field in certain schemes, certain play calls, and let's see what they all can do. Let's see who can blitz better. Let's see who does this. Let's see who cover better than does this. So now you get a key, a, a clue of how week to week how you want to play certain things, and now your schemes become more more exotic because of what you can do with yeah. these guys on the back end. It gives you that um, that Rex Ryan feel of having guys where he had me, Revis, Eric Smith, Rodney Poole, Drew Coleman, uh, Marquise Coleman, uh, Cole. Um, and all these guys that come in and just run blitzes. Okay, we need you to cover this guy in the slot. We need you to do this, this, and this. So it's just like when you get that, it broadens what you can do defensively on the back end. Who you, who can cover, who you can take away. Okay, hey, Willispoon, we're going to put you on the number one. We're going to put Rico on the number two. Now we're going to take away this because we got to focus on the slot guy that we got to try to take away from. So it's just like it's certain things that you can do throughout the whole entire throughout your whole entire secondary and on the defense when you can get exotic things going because of your secondary. The easiest way to get exotic with your blitzes and the way that you attack and pressure the quarterback is to have the guys on the back end that can be sticky in man coverage that you can rely on to hold up for more than two seconds, two and a half seconds, however long it takes for the blitz to get home. You mentioned when you were in New York, that was more of the scheme that you were running. You were asked to man up more than when you were in San Diego. The Seahawks in the past with the Legion of Boom, when you think of them, you think of cover three, three, you know, when they're blitzing more spot dropping than man up or matching. Well, now that they've spent the fifth overall pick on Devin Witherspoon, you have Tariq Woolen coming off of a Pro Bowl. You have those guys in Mike Jackson and Trey Brown. They feel like they have the cornerbacks that you can step up and say, all right, beat us. How does that allow you to dictate terms to an offense as opposed to being reactive? You can get up the front. Your blitzes. 
your simulated your simulated uh simulated pressures um it gives you a chance to be very exotic of pointing up moving guys around being able to play your cover ones play your fire zones uh play your nickel play your penny pay your dime play your um your oaky fronts um and everything else so it, it just gives you an opportunity to be a little more exotic a little more you can experience more with your front seven now that's what you have on the back end so it gives you a chance to be interchangeable in, in, in certain things that you do um and that that's what makes defense fun right there when you have a back end the way you have and now you can be more exotic up front with your blitzes and your simulated blitzes and everything your simulated pressures and being able to apply pressure in different ways to show, hey, yeah, we're showing five, but we only really bring in three. You know, uh, or we, well, we're showing three, but we're gonna bring five. Um, so it's just, it's just giving you an opportunity to be more, um, have a bigger imagination of what you can do defensively, and be more skillful with it, and make sure guys are buying into it, and guys are doing their jobs. Uh, to the best of their ability. Everybody eats. Yeah, you can throw more pitches as a defense. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not just like, it, I feel like Seattle basically just threw fastballs for four years and it worked because no one could hit it. But now, now they got the guys, allow them to throw that changeup, throw that curveball, keep the hitter guessing on the other side. You know what I mean? Uh, you throw that slider. Mm-hmm. So you can do it all. So, I mean, it just gives you, it just gives you a, a, a bigger, you get to expand your defense a little more. And that's 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 become the exciting part because now you're getting more guys involved in certain packages. Now these guys are playing 15, 10 to 15 plays a game when they was only playing maybe seven to eight. Now you're getting more of a package in in certain games. They may play 20 to 25 just because the certain package, certain package that you may have in for that week. So it just gives you a, a chance to be more exotic and use the guys that you have on the back end and also up front. Yeah, you know, along those lines, last week we had former Seahawks linebacker Dave Wyman on, and and he said that he suspects we'll see, like you were saying, a lot more nickel, even dime sets from this team in 2023. You were talking about 4-2-5, classic college defense. When you look at the depth of talent in the secondary, it seems to make sense to me. But this team also struggled mightily against the run last year. So if you were Seattle's defensive coordinator, how are you looking to deploy your personnel? Whoo! Man, honestly, see, I mean, see, I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a Rex Ryan, Todd Bowles guy. Yeah. One gap. Well, Todd, well, Todd was a one gap. Rex was a two gap scheme, which 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 knows. Um, but when you look at the things that you can do, man, one game, one season, one game, you can go two gap. Next game, you can go single gap. Mm-hmm. So now everybody's controlling the gap, going up, getting up the field. And the biggest thing, uh, uh, the, the way you can disrupt the run is putting the down offensive lineman and down quarterback lap, changing the line of scrimmage. That's what that's what has to happen. You want to you want to you want to stop the run game. You want to stop the gashing. Guys coming up, making tackles, doing what they're supposed to do, uh, making tackles in the open field, making tackles in the hole, but also being disrupting the offensive line and moving the offensive line, changing the offense, changing the line of scrimmage, not getting not pushing back and getting back and getting in the backfield. That's that's what's going to help. That's what's going to Get the guys to be where you want to be. Uh, stopping a run game. Now you're turning to a team into a one-dimensional what you want them to be. Now you're going instead of a, being 50-50. Now they're going 65-35 pass to run because mm-hmm. they can't run the ball. 
So mm-hmm. now you're now you're turning that offensive coordinator into something that he don't want to do because maybe he has a young quarterback, maybe he had an inexperienced quarterback that has to throw the ball. Now you're applying pressure, and you got these exotic blitzes and these exotic uh, simulated pressures that's making the quarterback throw errant throws or checking out of a run to a pass game. Now you're now you now you got them where you want them. So I think the biggest thing is understanding what you what you what your team does best, what your guys does best. And and creating a defense that type of way, and creating your pressures and creating your packages the best way you know how. Because camp and during the summer is the best time that you can start those exotic type blitzes or right. exotic type pressures. Because now you're getting these guys to understand this is what this is how defense is going to be. You guys got to buy into it. These guys, I'm gonna put my best pass rushers in when I have to. When I when I know it's run game and I know what I, I know I know what we're gonna get. Now I can call this call. I can do this. I can bring in a uh, big nickel where I add another defensive lineman in instead of having a true nickel back, you know, or something like that. So it just it just gives you a a, a bigger uh, a bigger plate to have because you have the guys that can go out and go do it. Yeah, man. And you know, it's, it's funny. Most odds makers have Seattle's over under at nine or nine and a half wins this season. They won nine last year. So my question to you is. If you had to, you got no choice. You got to bet $100,000 on whether they go over or under nine and a half wins this year. Where are you placing your money? Over. <laughs> no hesitation. Over. Talk to me. I, I just think you have Gino just coming back. And you you played with him early in his career. He's, he's pretty open about being a different guy now, but he's a t- tell, he's, tell us about that. He's a totally different guy. He was a young knucklehead. Then, I mean, Gino loved the game. Don't get me wrong. He, he, he loves the game. Yeah, but I just think he was just he was just young, didn't really understand what was truly acts of him. I think he was thrown in the fire, mm-hmm. and sometimes when you throw a young quarterback in the fire, it hurts. You got to think the reason that Geno started is because we threw Mark Sanchez in to win a preseason game against the Giants when uh, Mark Sanchez messed up his shoulder. Oh. So he was forced to get in there and go play. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that Gino has to realize is and what he had to realize during that time was like, I got to be accountable for who I am as the quarterback. I got to be the leader. I got to be the toughest guy. I got to be the guy that they can truly depend on. And that's what it's about. It's about you being, being dependable. You've been uh, accountable for your actions and going from there. And I think when you, what you see from Gino now is just growth. Being, being, being behind uh, Russell Wilson, being able to understand how to be a pro, how to, how, how to go about the game, how to prepare, how to do things a certain way, he learned that. And this is what you, the product that you're getting is the, is the Geno Smith everybody expected when he came right. out of West Virginia. Right. And I'm loving every bit of it. I'm loving it. I, I, I'm glad he's where he's at right now. I'm glad where his mindset is. And I just want to see him continue to grow. Uh, and be uh, the quarterback everybody expected him to be. Yeah. Yeah, and you feel good enough about him to put this team at 10 wins or more, right? It's got to be about more than just Geno on that. No, it's it's, it's, a, it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's all the way around. It's a team effort from the receivers to the old linemen to the running backs and also on the defense side of the ball. But, we, you know, it, Sunday is any given Sunday. Yeah. You know? But you got to be prepared to play every single Sunday. No matter what, 
that's just that's just the nature of the game. You gotta be prepared and be ready to go out mentally. You gotta be prepared because I feel like this practice is harder in the game. You already got the answer to the test when you go into the game. Mm-hmm. You may have one little hiccup in where they may for offense may throw a certain blitz that you didn't see that they haven't ran. But think about this: everything that it's a copycat lead, right? So if it's a copycat lead, you didn't seen the blitz before. Just you probably could have seen it two weeks ago from another team. Sure. That that your team got beat on. So you prepare and understand that and hey, okay, it's the same blitz that we saw two weeks ago. And you go from there. Okay, they haven't changed anything, they're not doing anything, they're running the same blitzes, they just add another blitz that another team beat us with. So let's make sure we understand whether we're going two Roger, two Louis, three Roger, three Louis, five O, or we're going four zones, or we're going slide. And just understanding that part of it. So it's like you when you understand that part of the game, it's like, okay, cool, we got it. Let's just win our one-on-one matchups. Mm-hmm. Well, and and to your point, you know, one of the things you said about you know your your hypothetical being defensive coordinator was trying to force the other team back into passing more than running, right? Because especially if running's a weakness, I think one of the ways this team is going to do that, I think they're set up to score a lot of points this year. I think adding Jackson Smith and Jigma to that offense, letting those two rookie tackles get into their second year. Obviously, assuming Geno is something similar to what we saw last year, I think this team is going to score a lot of points, which is going to help force the other team to play to your strengths as a defense, which is passing to catch up or to keep up. And that's what you want. If you if you can score a lot of points and not as other team has can't score, what does that what does that turn them to? A passing one dimensional defense. I mean, offense. So mm-hmm. now, as a secondary or as a defensive coordinator, you look at your chops like, okay, we up by we up by seventeen. Or hey, we are by ten. They gotta pass the ball. Yep. They have to pass the ball. They can't stay in this game plan and think they're gonna win the game, thinking that they're gonna just run the ball and we're stopping the run. So they, they go, you gotta turn them to one dimension. That's when offense started getting into their their third down offense, their two minute offense, and now you already know the game plan. Okay, they're in a two minute offense. They're in a two minute offense at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Then I know we're gonna have no huddle. We're going to have hurry-up plays. We're going to have that stuff. But now it's just now let us lock in. Let us understand what they're going to do. And let's take it away from them. Let's get a three and out and get the ball back to our offense. The best way we know how. Man, I love it. I love it. Look, man, I feel like I could spend all day talking ball with you. But this has been excellent. I know you got a life to live. But ever since you and I connected a couple weeks ago, I've been looking forward to chopping it up <laughs> with you. You definitely did not disappoint. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I appreciate y'all, man. Anytime. All right, man. I'm going to hold you to that. And before we get out of here, tell the listeners what you're up to. I know you do a lot of mentoring, work with young DBs, and also let the folks know where they can see you online. Well, you know what? Listen, man. Everybody know I'm, I'm doing a lot of DB training. We're here with my partner named Jaleel Johnson here in Houston. We do a lot of youth, college, and some of our pro guys that we train now with defensive back stuff. Um, right now, we're trying. We're about to get ready to start a podcast man-to-man podcast hell yeah we just talk football we talk about uh defensive back play week to week we're gonna pick certain games we're gonna be able to talk about that uh but also give the inside understanding of college football recruiting uh how to go about it teach the younger guys how to prepare prepare for it and help parents basically that's gonna listen to the podcast also be able to help them make them understand that with them it's that first time going through the process Helping them understand how to be guided through it, how to fill out the lies, the truths, and go from there. Because at the end of the day, only thing a team is doing is selling, selling their product. So they're doing. Schools are selling their product. So 
you don't have to serve yourself. They, they're trying to serve themselves to you. Your, your play speaks for itself and your talent speaks for itself. So understand that. Don't play games with teams. If you don't want to go to a team, don't don't sit there and 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 and, and take up somebody else's space. Yeah. Just because you're getting recruited by them. Yeah. Um, and understand the understand the difference between an official offer and an offer. So offer is if it's not committed, but it's not an official offer. Well, and that game has changed a ton in the last two years, huh? Man. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about it, man. But it's just it's just. <laughs> It gives like man, I, I I really do. I care for the kids. I care for not just the football aspect of it, but the actual true life aspect of it. Because there's so much that goes into it, especially with now with the NIL stuff that's going on. These kids are being able to make a hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, something that they've never seen, but then it's an opportunity for them to uh, go out and. Be able to take some of the, take care of some of the the responsibilities at home uh, that they never could have, you know, or be able to take those opportunities to say, okay, I'm gonna build my foundation through this, and I'm gonna go back home, and I'm gonna have back to school, uh, back to school stuff, or Thanksgiving giveaways, or Christmas giveaways with the money I earn on my NIL, and it just gives kids now a better opportunity and a bigger opportunity to be more. Um, available in their in their community mm. not just from a not just from a financial standpoint but also just from a visual standpoint to show other kids that's trying to go to college to give them that same opportunity also man that's that's beautiful and hey those of you listening man make sure y'all following this guy on twitter too the entertaining <laughs> as hell that's at crow 31 i you know i gotta get that in there man i know you're trying to be all humble but i'm telling you One of the best football followers out there. I appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it for us. Hope you all have enjoyed this year's positional breakdown series. Next up, we'll have some actual on-the-field football to talk about. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at, at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy those cigars, reach out on Twitter or Instagram with a pic and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time in your life for podcasts, and it is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. <laughs>